0: I didn't have to say surprise this week. Okay, so uh, here we are again, right? Uh, You can turn me down just a little bit. I'm going to be loud today, and I don't want to hurt people's ears. Um, So uh, we are looking at the Holy Spirit again today. Um, This is going to be the second part. We're actually going to go back through Acts chapter 2 and notice a few things. But I wanted to um, tell you guys a little bit about my history. Uh, Growing up, uh, I did not know the Lord. Um, I grew up in a, in a home where uh, we went to church at times. Uh, I, was, um, I was involved with the, with the church that I was involved in. Um, I'm probably going to slip up at some point. Um, I, was an, I was an altar boy. I grew up Roman Catholic. Um, I was an altar boy, and I just can't keep uh, not mentioning uh, Roman Catholicism um, throughout my uh, story here, but... Um, Growing up as a kid, uh, I looked forward to a few things. Um, This was probably fifth, sixth, and seventh grade. One of the things that I looked forward to was going and staying over at my grandpop's house. Um, I loved my pop a lot. Um, He passed away um, just a few years ago. Uh, But uh, pop was a Philadelphia police officer. Um, He was also in the Navy. Uh, Pop had canine dogs, and um, I loved dogs um, a lot, uh, and um, it was just always a fun time going over his house. The special times, though, were uh, when I got to actually stay over his house. Uh, for the first several years of me being alive, they lived right across the street, and then um, my, my fourth grade year, we moved away, away, we moved like four blocks away. Um, But uh, (laughs) that's what it was like in Philly No, you're on the other side of the world Um, But anyway, I would get to stay over his house And uh, my cousin Eric lived there And um, Pop had a few rules in his house Like I said, he was a Philadelphia police officer He was a Navy guy You would think he ran a pretty tight ship And you would be wrong Um, Pop had a few rules uh, When it came to staying out at night Um, Pop's rules were, don't come home hurt, don't come home with the cops, but come home. Those were his rules. There was no curfew. There was no nothing. You may not know this. (laughs) My parents are in shock here. Um, But I was free to run wild. Now, we we didn't have a huge area that we covered, Um, just to put you guys your minds at ease. Um, I don't think we ever went further than Holy Family College. I don't think we ever went further than Knights Road. Um, I don't think we went further than uh, the Northeast Airport. We didn't. We tried not to cross any major roads, but we had we had a good area to kind of patrol and be young boys. Um, growing up, uh, there was a literary character that I absolutely loved. His name was. Peter Pan. I loved Peter Pan because Peter Pan never grew up. Peter Pan got to do whatever he wanted to do. He could fly around. He had these, these great adventures. And us as young boys, we decided we were going to have great adventures. And we did. I would not have wanted to be a homeowner um, of anywhere around we were, where we were growing up. We were mischievous young men. Um, Again, we never got brought home by the cops, we rarely got hurt, but we always came home. It may have been very, very late at night, but we always came home. I was free to follow my own passions, my own desires, and run around like a wild man. The only time that I I even get a glimpse of this again is with my dog. Uh, My dog is an inside dog. Okay, he's in, he stays inside for most of the time, um, but there are times when Vader gets out, and it's usually involving my youngest, Ryan. Um, and we have a ring camera; it's hysterical. You'll—I I go back and I watch them all the time. But you'll see—you know—she'll open the door; it'll be one of her friends, and she'll yell, and all of a sudden, the, you'll notice the dog comes. Oh no! Wait, bear! And he just—he bolts, and he runs. And then he gets a look on his face and he just runs. And he loves it. And he's running around the neighborhood. He never goes very far away. But I find myself having the same parameters that my grandfather had for, for me. I have it for my dog. Don't get hurt. Don't get brought home by, well, don't get taken home by somebody else. Don't get lost. But please come home. He doesn't know what he's doing when he's out there, he's just running. He smells something, you know. maybe it's a squirrel, maybe it's a rabbit, and he follows it. And he just, he just runs wild. Last week we talked about the Holy Spirit. Um, and this week we are going to continue in that, and again we're going to look again at Acts chapter 2. But we're going to look at our hearts. Our hearts before we knew Christ. Our hearts when we were first convicted, and then our hearts after we became a follower of Christ. And what we're going to see is that the Holy Spirit has the power to change our hearts. First and foremost, the Holy Spirit has the power to change our hearts. And once he changes our hearts, the Holy Spirit will then change our habits. And after he's changed our hearts and changed our habits... He changes our home. See, as a little boy in Philadelphia, um, my heart was severely flawed. My mind was not fully developed. I was living for my own desires and my own passions. So, the three things we're going to cover today. The Holy Spirit changes our hearts, He changes our habits, and He changes our home. By way of review here, we're going to start in Acts chapter 2. Turn there with me. Verse 5, and we're going to look at these men, these men that have heard a rushing wind, they've heard a commotion in the streets here, and we're going to look at how they are described and the feelings that they have when they first hear the voice of the Holy Spirit speaking to them. Verse 5 says, now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews. devout men from every nation under heaven. We learn that these Jerusalem individuals are are Jews, and we learn that they are devout men. Well, what does it mean to be a devout Jew? Well, it means that you are doing your best to follow the rules. The rules that this religion has, has set up here. You are doing your best to follow the law of Moses. The problem that these devout Jews have at the time is that not only are they trying to keep the law of Moses, which the Bible tells us is impossible for us to do as human beings, they're also being heaped on them other burdens by the religious leaders. It is Judaism has become the law and. It's the law and what the Pharisees say you must do. It's the law and all of these traditions and customs that they needed to follow. It was a very burdensome, a very cumbersome religion. But the Bible in Acts here describes these men as devout Jews. And at the sound of the multitude, verse, uh, verse 6, at the sound of the multitude uh, came together, they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language, and they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not these who are speaking Galileans? We learn that these people at hearing the call of the Holy Spirit, remember, uh, Peter and the other disciples, they are speaking, but the individuals are hearing in their own languages. We talked about this last week, the fact that the Holy Spirit is supernaturally speaking Affecting the the physical being of these individuals. They're all hearing the words. The Holy Spirit is affecting the crowd, but the result, the response that we get from these young men or these men in in Jerusalem is that they are bewildered, amazed, and astonished. They're bewildered, amazed, and astonished. If I looked at somebody who was bewildered, amazed, and astonished, there's one word that I would use for them. They're confused. They are confused. When I was at Baptist Bible College, Clark Summit University, we had a professor by the name of Dennis Wilhite. Dennis Wilhite attended here for many years, was a member, and Dennis used to talk about the idea that when people are confronted with the Word of God, sometimes they choke. They choke on it. It doesn't go down right. That's what these men are experiencing. They're experiencing the the choking factor. They cannot understand what is happening. One of the things that we we noticed here uh, as we continue on is that in verses 8 through 12 here, 8 through 11, the Jews are going to start making distinctions. Even though they're all together, even though they're devout men, they're going to start making distinctions about the different people that are there. This is not Peter speaking. It's not Luke giving us a commentary here. These are the words of the Jews that are there. And they start to say, man, we're hearing all these different languages. Everybody's hearing them in their own tongue. We're hearing Italian, you know, or, you know we're hearing the Romans over here. And we're hearing uh, the people from Libya over here. And there's, there's people from Turkey And there's people from all over the place. They start dividing themselves up. And in verse 12, it says, All were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others mocked and said, They are filled with new wine. These men are together, but they're not together. We get a glimpse into their hearts, their emotions, bewildered and amazed. But the issue is, the reason they are bewildered and amazed and do not understand what they're seeing is because even though the Holy Spirit is speaking to them, they still don't have the Spirit. This is the beginning stages. Remember we said last week, the Holy Spirit is preparing their hearts. He is softening their hearts for the message that is about to be preached to them. What does this mean, they say? They're perplexed. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 2. First Corinthians chapter 2. And again, I'm going to talk a lot about Dr. Wilhite because um, Dr. Wilhite also used these terms because the Bible used these terms, but uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, it says in verse 14, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is unable to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. See, the Bible draws a line in the sand here. And he says, even though the Spirit is speaking to them, these men, they're still natural men. They are still living for their Desires, just like me as a young boy in Philadelphia, running after whatever my heart was going to lead me to do. These devout men are in the same boat. They cannot understand what's being said because they do not have the spirit. Peter goes on here in Acts chapter 2, and he's going to, first and foremost, uh, in verse 14, we're going to just summarize 14 through 21, first and foremost, he's going to say, hey, those of you guys who think that we're drunk, we're not drunk, it's early, we talked about that last week, it's too early to be drunk, and then he's going to, (laughs) he's going to use the prophet Joel, he's going to go back to the Old Testament. Now, just a side note here, why does Peter go back to the Old Testament? Because that is what the Jews No, and that is where the Spirit is leading him. Remember, this knowledge, what Peter is doing right here, he's not doing through his own wisdom. He's not doing through his own strength. He's doing by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is going to be very important for these early believers here, mainly because what they have are two things right now. They have the Old Testament scriptures that they can remember. But more importantly, they have a teacher in the Holy Spirit teaching them. This is not Peter speaking here by his own wisdom or his own might here. And he uses the prophet Joel and he says, Listen! What you are seeing here is the pouring out of the Spirit on all flesh that Joel prophesied. You are witnessing history right before your eyes. You're seeing prophecy fulfilled right before you. And the prophecy ends with a statement. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. The Holy Spirit then uses Peter to... Turn it around on the men of Israel in verse 22. Verse 22 of Acts chapter 2. The Holy Spirit uses Peter and Peter says, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. You crucified and killed. Remember, last week we said that the Holy Spirit has the power to indict. The Holy Spirit is indicting these men here. He's saying, you may feel confused by what you're seeing, and you're supposed to. You're supposed to feel confused. You're supposed to choke on this. Why? Because you are a natural man. You do not have the Spirit, but we have received the Spirit. This is the distinction that Peter is making here. He's saying there's the natural man, and then there is the spiritual man. There is a line drawn in the sand, and Peter hits them right with their their problem. He's saying you are standing guilty. You crucified and killed Jesus Christ. Willfully done by the desires of your own heart. Remember, we talked about the fact that these are devout Jews. No doubt, no doubt. As we find later with with Saul, and, and who is eventually going to be Paul here. No doubt when they crucified Christ, they felt like they were following their religion. And doing exactly what they were supposed to do. Willingly killed him. Willingly sacrificed the Son of God. They killed Jesus with malice in their hearts. They killed their brother. With joy. With sinful hearts. Why? Turn back with me to 2 Corinthians, or 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 6 through 9 here. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 6 through 9. Paul is speaking to the Corinthian church here and he says, Yet among the mature we do impart wisdom, though it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. Again, Paul is saying we have wisdom. The wisdom does not come from men. Not even the most powerful men who are alive today because they are going to die. Verse 7, But we impart a secret, hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages of glory, None of the rulers of this age understood this. For if they would, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. The rulers didn't understand. The people didn't understand because they're natural, they don't have the spirit. What did Jesus say? On the cross. Father, forgive them, for they. Jesus would say in the Gospels that he looked out on the crowd and they were helpless and harassed. Like sheep without a shepherd. The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit guides us. It changes our hearts from the natural man to the spiritual man. From the natural woman to the spiritual woman. I'm not going to sing. Natural woman. No, I'm not going to sing. But that's what the Holy Spirit has the power to do for us. It changes our heart. Uh, Turn with me real quick to um, 1 Peter chapter 1 here. 1 Peter chapter 1. We're going to find out exactly what the Holy Spirit does for us. 1 Peter chapter 1 starts off, Peter, an apostle of Christ, to those who are elect, exiled in the dispersion in in Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, uh, Benthia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ And for the sprinkling of blood. Guys, follow me here. Jesus Christ justified us. Jesus Christ paid the price that we could never pay and made us right with God. We were separated from God. Jesus Christ came to this earth, lived a sinful life, died, but death and sin could not hold him, and he was raised again. The fact that we accept this, that we believe in this, is justification. We are made right with God. Sin separated us from God and now we are made right. But the Spirit continues to sanctify us. What does it mean to be sanctified? It means to be set apart. He continues to mold us. He continues to guide us. We are going to read in in Galatians in just a bit that He leads us. That we are to walk In the spirit. He is the agent of sanctification in our lives. The great news though comes back in uh, Acts chapter twenty, Acts chapter two in verse twenty four. Acts chapter two, verse twenty four. after he tells the crowd that they crucified and killed Jesus. Verse 24 says, God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Peter then goes on and and talks about David and how David saw this. He saw this and was was prophesying in the Psalms when he said that uh, the the sin would not... uh, yeah, the Savior would not see corruption, that his Holy One would not see corruption, that the body would not decay. Peter says basically, listen, if, if David is talking about himself, we can go right to his tomb. We can roll it away and we're going to find the bones. We're going to see that David decayed. But Jesus did not. David was prophesying concerning the death of, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. After Peter's done presenting the gospel to them, he hits them one more time in verse 36. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus again, whom you crucified. Now please do not think that we are off the hook. We mentioned last week and we talked about this, the fact that our sin killed Jesus as well. That Jesus died for our sins. Even though Paul or even though Peter here through the Holy Spirit is speaking to these individuals, we can look at this and we can transpose ourselves into the crowd and we could say I'm just as guilty. I'm just as deserving of wrath. But I serve a gracious God who did not let my sin win. He sent his son. The offense was terrible. We killed the son of God. But the grace was so much greater. The good news was so much greater. Verse 37. And when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Again, we're getting a glimpse into the heart of these men here. This is conviction. They have now heard the gospel. They realize they have a problem. A big problem. Not by their own wisdom, but by the Holy Spirit softening their hearts. Humbling them. To the part where their heart is cut open. Brothers, what shall we do? Peter tells them repent, be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and your children and all who are far off. Peter tells them here to turn. Turn from their wicked ways. As a young boy, my heart was wild. Um, It wasn't until uh, the eighth grade that I would first hear the gospel, and the Holy Spirit would start start to soften my heart. And I shared with you last week. I remember. I remember hearing. And being affected by the words people were using, by the actions I was seeing these Christians do. I remember that feeling of the Holy Spirit calling me, softening my heart. I also remember. The resistance. The resistance to that call. We'll talk about that in a second. But Peter says, be baptized. Repent, be baptized, and you will receive the Holy Spirit. Verse 39, for the promise is for you and for your children and all that are far off, everyone whom the Lord God calls to himself. Peter doesn't say, everyone who hears my voice. Peter doesn't say everybody who listens to the wisdom of the apostles. He says, whom the Lord God calls to himself. And with many other words, uh, he he bore witness to them and continued to exhort them, saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received the word were baptized. And they were added to them about 3,000 souls. I want you guys to get the picture here of what the Holy Spirit did. The Holy Spirit worked on the macro and the micro. Acts chapter 2 is not just about seeing an individual come to Christ. It's about seeing the Holy Spirit affect a community of people. Changing a community of people. Shaping 3,000 hearts at the same time. And the power that went with that, the fact that we talked about last week, that in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit was given to one person, maybe two people, maybe it was among the people at times. But here, 3,000 individuals indwelt with the Holy Spirit, with the very power of God. Friends, I'm going to tell you, We're probably about 100, 120 strong in here. These individuals here have not yet experienced persecution. This is day one. You know, in America today, you don't experience a whole heck of a lot of persecution, not like the rest of the world does. We're going to see how he changed these people's habits. He's already changed their hearts. That was point one. The Holy Spirit changes hearts. Point two. The Holy Spirit changes our habits. We see these men who go from devoted followers of Judaism, of a, of a, a weird mixture of God's law and man's system, Two. verse 42, they devoted themselves To the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done throughout the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. Guys, I want you to remember on this side, we had devout men. Devout men who were confused, who were perplexed, who decided to point out all the differences all the differences that they saw between one another, to now we have devoted men who are listening to the apostles, who are empowered by what? The Holy Spirit. Remember, guys. Remember. They didn't have the epistles. They didn't have the gospels at this time. The Holy Spirit was working mightily through the apostles to to continue to sanctify and change the hearts and the habits of the individuals in Jerusalem. And these men devoted themselves to their teaching, to prayer, to breaking of bread. Over here we saw they divided each other. They said, here, 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 here. Over here we see that they have all things in common. The Holy Spirit has the power to unite us. The Holy Spirit united these individuals by breaking their hearts, by changing their habits, by giving them a new life. Remember what Jesus says to Nicodemus. Things that are of the flesh are of the flesh, but that is born, that, that is born of the Spirit is of the Spirit. These men went from natural men who didn't understand to now spirit-filled individuals that have the Holy Spirit to not only teach them, but to interpret them, to continue to mold their hearts, to continue to sanctify them. Verse 45, And they were selling their possessions and belongings, distributing the proceeds as each had need, and day by day attending the temple together and breaking bread and receiving their food with gladness and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number those who were being saved day by day. Because we have the same Spirit in us. He's changed our hearts. He changes our habits. You say to me, Billy, well, okay, that's great that we see this. That's great that this happened, Billy. But how? How does the Spirit Change our habits. I'm going to give you guys, for those of you who have taken notes, please, I want you to write down several passages of Scripture to see how the Holy Spirit changes our habits here. You can read Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. You can read 1 Corinthians chapter 2. You could read 1 Corinthians chapter 12. You can read Ephesians 4. Or you can read Galatians chapter 5. All of these. All of these passages of scripture, I'll go through it again and I'll probably miss one here. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses uh, chapter 2 and chapter 12, uh, Ephesians chapter 4, Galatians chapter 5, Romans chapter 8. Did I miss one? No, okay, good. <laughs> You're lucky we didn't go through all of those today. No, but we're going we're gonna to focus on Galatians chapter 5 here for a second. Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5 and verses, uh, you guys can read the whole chapter here, but we're going we're gonna to start in verse 16. Galatians 5, 16 says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Paul is very clear here. He says there is a war going on inside of us. Romans chapter 8 as well talks about this war that happens within the believer. You see, even though the Holy Spirit comes and it changes our heart, even though it has the power to shape and to mold our heart and to change our habits, unfortunately, this side of glory, we still have something else to lug around our flesh. The Holy Spirit does not promise perfection this side of glory. There is still a war that wages inside of us. Paul says here, we need to walk by the Spirit because the flesh, the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit verse 18. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident: sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warned you, as I warned you before, that these who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Paul says, this is what comes from the flesh. These are the desires of the flesh. Now, I want to just take a moment here because we have a tendency as human beings to check off lists, right? We like to check off lists. And we say, okay, uh, idolatry. Nope. Check. Sexual immorality. Okay, check. Sensuality. Check. Big ones. Already done. Right? But then we get into some of the other ones. Strife. Jealousy fits of anger, rivalry, dissensions, divisions, envy. Some of these things we do without even knowing we do them. Our flesh is such a part of us still that it has the the ability to pervert and control us. The Bible is very clear that the heart of man is deceitfully wicked. It's capable of all sorts of nasty things. Here's a list. And that's why I have this tree up here. This is the natural man. This is where the natural man exists. He exists in his own desires, in his own passions, following his own heart, walking in his own heart, being led by his own heart. This idea of walking in the Spirit has the idea of a lifestyle. The idea that, um, how many of you guys have ever seen, we're going to go back to dogs, I'm sorry, I just thought of this. Uh, How many of you have ever seen a um, a dog show where um, it's like, It's not just a dog show, though. It's like a dog performance where, like, the German shepherd is, like, doing these amazing things. Usually it's, like, military style where, you know, they're walking and the dog is literally between their legs. And then they'll crouch down and the dog crouches down and they move backwards and the dog moves with them. You look at that dog when it happens and what is the dog doing? It's focused. It's focused on the trainer. It's looking for the next command. It wants to please the trainer. This is the picture here, that when we're walking along, we're looking at the Spirit, and we're saying, okay, Spirit, what's next? What's next? What's next? It says that we're led by the Spirit. You know what's going to happen? We're walking, and we're going to say, what's next? What's next? What's next? And then we're going to see something shiny. And we're going to take our eyes, and we're going to be pulled. The Spirit leads us, though. It leads us to where we need to go. Paul says here that those people who do such things will not inherit. I really like what the NIV does here. Um, I'm reading out of the ESV. I really like what the NIV does. The NIV says those who live in such things. It carries with it, this idea carries with it, that this is a habitual offense. This has become a lifestyle. For this individual. I mean, come on guys. No human being, right? No human being would intentionally do something that's going to eventually kill them. Right? I mean, nobody would. I mean, you, would, you might even put like signs and stickers like, this is dangerous. Please don't do this. Please, you know, don't. Now, I can, I can focus on the big ones if I want to. I can hit, you know, smoking and alcohol and drug use and things like that. Things that are literally going to kill us. But then I can meddle in my own heart. And look at my bank account. And, uh, Chris, I hope this doesn't um, hurt our relationship in any way. But see how many times that I go to McDonald's in a week, in a day. Um, You know, as human beings, We're trying to kill ourselves. The Bible says that the natural man is living in death. The problem is there's still a part of us that lives in that natural man's world. There's a draw. Paul doesn't leave us there, though. He says, but the fruit of the Spirit, verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against these things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ, Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. I started talking about Peter Pan. Love the story. The story was written um, in 1911 by a guy whose last name is Barry. It's J.M. Barry. He was knighted. Sir J.M. Barry. The story has been retold several times. But in the original story, in chapter 8 of the original story, Wendy and Peter, the boy who never grew up, Wendy and Peter are on a rock. And the water's rising. And they get into a confrontation with Captain Hook, and Captain Hook injures Peter Pan in a way that he can no longer fly. He can't get away. A kite comes flying by. Wendy grabs the kite, and she says, Come on, Peter. We'll fly this kite away together. Again, it's a a fantasy. You know, they're in Neverland. They're never growing up, right? It's a fantasy. We'll take this kite, and we'll fly away together. Peter says, The kite won't carry both of us. The boy who did whatever he wanted, the boy who followed his heart, the boy who never grew up does the first selfless thing that he's ever done. And he says to Wendy, You take the kite. And Wendy says, But Peter, you are going to die. Peter's got a great line. He's got a great line, which would later be repeated in a much lesser work by uh, Mrs. JK, Ms. J.K. Rawlings. I was looking at, looking at Allie over there, see if she would look at me. Um, no, but it's repeated in, in Harry Potter, slightly different. But what Peter says is, to die would be an awfully big adventure. Paul says here, we are crucifying the things of the flesh. You guys want a big adventure? You guys want to know how to walk in the spirit, be led in the spirit, live in the spirit? Like this tree? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. You have to put to death this part of yourself. You have to deny yourself daily To die would be an awfully big adventure. Paul's telling us to do the same thing. That we die to ourselves every day so that the Spirit can lead us. So that we can live in the Spirit. How do we identify those who are living in in the natural? It's obvious. They participate in these things. How do we know those who are living in the Spirit? Well, it's obvious. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. It's not by their own striving. It's by the Spirit producing these things in them. These things just happen. Pastor Don, one of his favorite verses, Ephesians 2.10, For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which were prepared for us beforehand that we may walk in them. It's not by our own striving. The Holy Spirit changes our hearts, it changes our habits. And in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 20, we learn two other things. Most importantly, what the Holy Spirit does is it changes our home. But turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 20. Sorry, verse 30. Ephesians chapter 4, the entire chapter is about unity. Dave earlier read one of the greatest verses in all of the Bible in unity one God, one faith, one baptism, one Spirit, one Lord of all. United in that Spirit. These Ephesians were not united. And Paul gets to this. He tells them, Let the thief steal no longer, let no corruption enter your mouth. Do honest labor. Verse 30, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Guys, this is the battle. What does it look like to grieve the Holy Spirit? I told Pastor Stephen he wasn't going to like me after this. What does it look like to grieve the Holy Spirit? You don't have to turn it on. Because it will be horrible. But I want you to hear something pretty good, right? Not bad for a drummer, right? I can get a few chords here. G, C, and D, I could play, you know, in the 90s, I could play just about any worship song that there was, right? Sounds good. All of these strings are working in harmony. But, Play that same chord. Am I doing it right? I'm trying to do it right. It sounds terrible, right? I'm looking at Pastor Stephen's strings, and I don't even know what string this is. But this string has been grieved; it's offended right here. Uh, It's it's pretty nicked up. This one here has been offended in a different way. It's out of tune. It's not where it should be. You know, there is a tremendous stress that these, you're going to have to retune this because I can't do it. Um, (laughs) There is a tremendous amount of stress that is put on those strings there. Not that the Holy Spirit is stressed. Not that the Holy Spirit is sitting there saying, oh no, what am I going to do? Billy's not doing what he's supposed to do. He's doing what he wants to do. But the idea that we are offending him. Guys, we are all knit together by the Holy Spirit. Our disunity, our sin, it grieves the Spirit. The Spirit wants to lead us. The Spirit wants us to walk in it. The Spirit wants to change our habits. But our own sinful flesh wars against that Spirit. And daily, we need to put that Spirit to death. The Holy Spirit not only changes our heart and changes our habits, but he changes our home. The end of verse 30. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed unto the day of redemption. Sealed until the day of redemption. Guys, the Holy Spirit, this idea of sealed, it's ownership. There's a lot of things about us that denote ownership. Our very name, Christian. If we bear the name of Christ, we better look like Christ. The Holy Spirit is sanctifying us. It has sealed us. It has reserved a place in heaven for us because now we no longer belong to ourselves. We belong to the Father. Through the work of the Son and the sanctification of the Spirit, we are one together. That little boy in Philly, that little boy in Philly, he was convinced his home was Philadelphia. And for him, for him without the Spirit, that's as good as his home would ever get. The final destination for him was not a better place. No matter how bad you make fun of Philly, it was not a better place. The Spirit shows us, tells us, leads us, sanctifies us, allows us to realize the Word of God. And the Word of God tells us that this world is not our, own, our home. This world, this is what this world offers. Death, sin, a dead life. What the Spirit enables us to do, this side of glory is give others a glimpse of what it's going to be like where sin no longer controls us, where sin is no longer the default. The Spirit changes our hearts, it changes our habit, and it changes our home. Guys, we can be afraid sometimes as Baptists or even just, we're not Baptists anymore, I guess. We are, we're not, we are, whatever. Um, (laughs) We are. We can be afraid sometimes to talk about the Holy Spirit. It shouldn't be something, the Spirit should never be something that divides us. But guys, if we don't understand how the Spirit is working in our life day by day, we are missing out. God. The Father is God. The Son is God. And the Holy Spirit is God. Let us not grieve him. Let us continue to walk in him and be led by him this week. Father God, you are holy and perfect. God, we love you. Lord, we thank you for sending your son to die for our sins. God, we thank you for giving us the comforter, for giving us the teacher, for giving us the Holy Spirit. God, that it has the power to change our lives. Lord, we do not speak in our own wisdom. We do not speak in our own understanding. God, we speak only the words that the Spirit gives us. Would that be true for us, God? Lord, your word says that it's not what goes into a man that defiles him, but what comes out. God, as we go throughout our weeks, our months, our years here, Lord, when the pressure comes, Lord, that the fruit of the Spirit would come out. Pastor Don took us through James. James says to consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds. God, that when we face these trials of life, when our spirit starts to, uh, our spirit, our flesh, starts to war against the Holy Spirit, God, that we would sacrifice, Lord, that we would crucify our own flesh, that we would die to ourselves daily, Lord, and enter the awfully big adventure that is being led by your Spirit and walking in your Spirit. In Jesus' name.